I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, if you don't mind. So let's bow for a word of prayer. God, we are so thankful to be here today. We are so honored to be called your children. We are in a time in our life, in, in our country, in, in our society, God, where we're just ignoring you. We've set you aside. We've turned our hearts to other things. God, we want to repent of that. We want to ask for your forgiveness. We want you to restore us back to a people that fears you. God, I can't help but think about the people of Israel and just how many times you gave them love and second chances and how many times they turned their back on you over and over. God, we're no different. We do pray to you that you will do a good work in us, that we will be a people that fears you and that we live by your truth and no other truth, God. There is no other truth. You are the one true God. Father, be with us this morning as we dig into your word. We are grateful that we have it to, to look at, to read, to study, to converse with each other. God, do a great thing through us. Be with us this morning as we, as we come together and worship you, as we study your word. God, I pray that you will be with me this morning as I present this lesson. God, may I decrease so that you could increase. May your words be spoken today and not mine. Father, I love this church. I love what goes on here. May you continue to work through it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Like I said, my name is Todd Brumley, and this is the first time that I'm getting to preach before you. Um, I've been on stage here uh, at Praise Team in the choir loft, but not being able to, to preach a sermon here. Uh, my wife and I got here in 2013, September 2013, and um, I always sat in these chairs wondering what would it be like to preach a sermon from that stage. And here I am before you today getting that very opportunity. And I will say that it has been overwhelming, um, and like anything I can, I can describe. I have had more prayer and more encouragement from our staff and from our members than I've ever had in my life. So I want to give a, a big shout out to, to our team and to our, our family here. You guys have been incredible. And for someone that does have, tend to have a little anxiety, it feels really good to be up here. And uh, it feels good to see all your faces. I have preached this sermon three times before, so you kind of are the first ones to hear it. Uh, Brian Shirley is truly the one because we've done some tests, and then I've done it to an empty auditorium. So it's really nice to see uh, faces in the chairs. It's a lot easier to speak to you with faces than to speak to empty chairs. It's just kind of weird. Uh, so we are going to get started. I am going to make sure that I do my iPad right. I think it's going to go. So we're going to get started. All right. In 2015, there's a man named Dan Price. He is a CEO of a Seattle credit card processing company, and he decided that he would pay all his workers a minimum salary of $70,000. Raise your hand if that sounds pretty good. Minimum wage, $70,000. Lots of hands up. Good. All right, after, after um, let's see here, 70000 a year after realizing that many of his younger employees were struggling to pay student loans and other obligations. He did this mostly by cutting out his large bonus uh, that he received each year. The New York Times ran a story about this because at least two of Price's most talented workers quit. The reason for quitting was because the, the less skilled workers received such a high salary and these top talented workers felt like this was unfair. It should be noted that Price did not stop at simply raising his lowest paid employee's salary. He also increased everybody's salary across the board. 
However, as you guys know, if you're paid lower and you get a, a raise, your percentage of increase is going to be higher than someone who's already making more money, right? But still, this wasn't, this wasn't good enough, and they felt like this was unfair. And so at least two of those employees quit. I mean, what a story that is. There's so much that we can gain from that and tie into our, our lesson today the kingdom of heaven is like. And we are going to continue on in our parable story, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 20, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. So through this modern-day story, it really goes to highlight the entitlement and discontentment that we have that human beings develop. This has always been an issue. This isn't something new. We, we see these, these issues all the way back in, in our Old Testament, all the way back to the beginning, and, and we'll get there soon. Jesus goes to great lengths to highlight this through a couple parables. Our key text today, like I said, is laborers in the vineyard, but there are two additional passages that I will want to look at uh, to dive deep and drive home the point of this entitlement and discontentment that we as humans have. We will use this latter portion of the, the latter portion of the rich man, young, rich young man, and then I want to look at the sons of Zebedee to kind of tie those things in. So right now, Sean's going to come up and, and read our passage this morning. She's probably wondering if I was going to call her up here, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit before she did that. So Sean, if you will, if you'll be standing as we read from the Word of God. Good morning, church family. As he said, our passage is Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the last will be first and the first last. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Sean. I believe that Jesus is challenging his disciples' view of the kingdom of heaven through this passage. And I think he has specifically challenged them in three areas. First, I feel like Jesus is challenging their inclination for entitlement. Secondly, I feel that Jesus is challenging their inclination for pride. And third, Jesus is challenging their inclination for discontentment. And these three things we will dive deeper in here in a second. You know... Keep in mind our modern-day example of Dan Price and, and his credit card company and what he decided to do with their pay. 
I mean, it really, you can really tie these two stories together, and, and it becomes very interesting. And, and this parable here is, is very tricky. Uh, there's so much that you can, you can glean from it, and there's so many different aspects of it that we can, we can see ourselves in. And so as I was telling uh, the different pastors and, and directors what I was preaching on, every time I said, labors of the vineyard, each one of them kind of chuckled and said, good luck. Uh, because there's just so much here to dig into. So, uh, but I think that those three things, the entitlement, the pride, and discontentment, those are probably, that's the way that, that I really feel like God is leading us down through this passage uh, to look at. So when we look at this passage, let's try to look at some of the cultural aspects that we're dealing with. See, this, this parable would make total sense to, to them. Uh, they would have no issue understanding this parable uh, in their day. So the tr traditional economic structures of the time were breaking down. The idea of landowners only owning what was passed down to them from their family was being replaced by landowners who continued to acquire more and more land. So I think that that point alone, we could probably all agree that we could see that happening, right? We, we see that in our day and age with big companies, you know, uh, all, taking over, you know, our, our world, okay? Also, the small landowners could not always afford the taxes that the Roman government imposed, therefore forcing them to sell their land to the big landowners, so more and more, these big landowners would continue to gain more and more land, and they would gain more and more power. This caused unemployment to grow. I mean, I think we know a little bit something about unemployment, don't we? This uh, caused it to grow. As men sold off their farms, they often became unemployed. At this point, men would wait around, hoping to be hired for the day in order to feed their family. So they would go to the marketplace, and they would wait around, and they would be hopeful that somebody would come around and say, hey, how about you come work for me for today, earn a little bit of money, and then they would go. And if they were not able to work a full day, well then, man, they didn't, they didn't get a full day's wage. So that even makes this story even more interesting, okay, as we dig deep why it's such a big deal that the 11th hour workers were able to earn the same amount of money as our first hour workers. So a wage back then, as it says in the passage, is a denarius, okay? And, and it doesn't really matter exactly what a denarius represents, but what it does mean is that it was a fair wage. This was a good wage. This is something that anybody in the marketplace would say, yes, I'll take that job. I'll do that. I'll go and work. And so this also shows, it, when, you, when you do some studying, that a Roman soldier earned a denarius as well. So this was a very common, a very common wage, and, and it was good. It was something to be sought after. Also, planting, maintaining, and harvesting vineyards in first century Israel was strenuous work, requiring hard physical labor in the heat of the summer. Okay. Let's take a poll real quick. Who enjoys 100 degree plus temperatures? Okay, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. We had one handed. Anybody over here? Oh, no, I don't believe that either. Come on. We'll talk about that in GLC. Um, it is hot, okay? But this is the prime time for them to get the work done in the vineyards, okay? The, the, the heat. And the scorching sun was very good for this harvest and for it to grow and become something profitable. So the landowners had a certain timeline that they had to work within because if it became fall, it would become cloudy, the rains would come, and all of a sudden their crop wouldn't do very well. So they had to work in this time, in, in the hot sun during the summer. Uh, another thing to, to think about is workers were paid before the end of the day according to the law of Moses. I mean, at first I thought that was kind of strange that, okay, you get paid each day because most of us get paid maybe weekly or bi-weekly or once a month or, or whatever, but we don't get paid at the end of the day. 
But here they do, and that's because of the law of Moses. So in Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15, it says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. So that's kind of a a very interesting passage. And throughout most of the parable, Jesus is fairly vague in his telling of this story. I mean, at the beginning, we get some details, but it's not really till the end that he really starts having some, uh, talking about some dialogue, and this is really where the meat and potatoes are of this parable. As we saw in the Dan Price example with his company, we can place ourselves in each role of this parable and with that story with his company. We can, at least in this room, there are those who can see themselves as the vineyard owner, Okay, the vineyard owner. There are those in this room that can see yourself as the first hour laborers, getting a start on the day early and working all day. And yet there are still some of us in here that can see ourselves as the 11th hour laborers who have come into a a great blessing of a job that's paid us a good amount of money that we weren't expecting maybe but has really blessed our, us and our family. So I want to start addressing the challenges that I spoke of earlier. The first challenge I want to talk about is our inclination for entitlement. And that's a nasty word, isn't it? Entitlement. But I think that it's something that, is, that should be really close to our heart, that we, we need to be looking at, that entitlement. So the first hour laborers felt entitled to more money because they worked longer and endured the heat of the day. I mean, when you think about it, that doesn't seem unreasonable, right? I mean, that, that, seems, that seems fair. And like we talked about earlier, for those that have to labor the last three weeks or four weeks in the really hot 90 plus 100 degree weather outside, man, you really want that wage. And it ought, you want it to be fair because there's, there's nothing really more that will knock you off your rocker if, you're, if you find out that something's not fair. Like, man, I've been working so hard, and yet this person, man, they're getting the same thing I am. I get it. I think you guys get it too. But isn't this money that the landowner have, isn't that his money? Isn't he able to distribute it as he wants to, as he sees fit? I think, it, I think that's right. And who are we to tell anyone how to spend their own money? This is their money. This is his. You know, God has given him this money, and and hopefully he's going to do good with it. Another example of this entitlement playing out is in Matthew 19, one of the parables before uh, chapter 20, the rich young man. This passage is important because it is... It comes right before chapter, uh, our labor's vineyard, the last sentence in 19. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so what we have here is a rich young man who wants to know what good deed he must do in order to have eternal life. Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He's you know, fulfilled the commandments. He's been abiding by the law of Moses. He's been doing his thing appropriately. So he comes to Jesus and says, what can I do to get, to get eternal life? What does Jesus say to him? Sell everything you've got and follow me. And what does the man do? He walks away sad because he had a lot. And to give away all that he had that, that would just be too difficult. You know, we can sit here and say, shame on him for not doing that. Shame on you for not trusting Jesus. I'm just not so sure I would do the same thing. I think that I would have some hesitancy to just sell it all. My security, my home, 
all my things, my cars, my couches, my fill-in-the-blank, just to go and follow Jesus in that way. That would be hard. The man walked away from Jesus disappointed. Here's the next part of it. I love it when Peter talks. He just opens his mouth, and I just tend to uh, resonate with, with his words. You know what he says in Matthew 19, 27? He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I mean, essentially, Peter is saying, hey, we've done everything that you're asking us to do in that story. We are that rich man. We've given up everything to follow you. We've left our family. We don't see them very often. We've left our homes. We're traveling around with very little on our backs. What will we get in return? Man, Peter just has a way with words. He felt like his life and his disciples, fellow disciples' life was already ordered properly because they had indeed left everything to follow him. However... Peter is showing his and their entitlement, right? I mean, he's expecting something in return. He's expecting Jesus to answer him and tell him, what are they going to get? What then will we have? And maybe Peter meant it in all good, but I think that there's something underlying there that's very important for us to, to, to take away. Do we act as entitled people? Do you act as entitled as an entitled person? I think if you dig deep, the answer is going to be yes. Is it all the time? Maybe not, and that's great. But we do have those moments of entitlement, okay? We have those moments of entitlement. Looking back at our Dan Price example, the most talented workers felt like they were entitled to a bigger pay increase. Why? Because they felt like they worked harder. They felt like they worked more, put in more hours than these other workers. So they felt like it was unfair. They essentially said to Dan, hey, thanks for the raise, but it's not enough. Peace. I'm out. I heard a story of a, of a young professional who had a minimum wage job, who was struggling with money, struggling to pay rent, struggling to pay the bills. That's not an uncommon thing that, we've, that we hear about, right? Upon first appearance, you might say, you might sympathize and say, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. Things are tough. I really, I, I really pray that you'll, you'll get a job that pays more, that's more fair to, to you and your family. But... Upon further conversation with this individual, you'll start to learn that they drive a, a really nice car. They have the latest and greatest cell phone, the new Apple, I don't know, what is it, 13? Does that sound right? College kids, I'm looking at you, is that right? Apple 13? Okay, good. Um, the latest, greatest, latest, greatest thing, I mean... Those things are good and nice to have if you have the money to, to pay for it. But our world tells us that we need those things. To live life to our fullest, we have to have those things. I have to have a wonderful home filled with all of the best things in order to live a life that I deserve, for happiness that I deserve. I think that's a scary road to go down. Normally one would, would conclude again that if you don't have the money for those things, then maybe there's a time in the future that that will happen, but it's best to live within your means. Our entitlement sets in. And this leads us to our, our second challenge, our inclination for pride. I, now, I know no one in here has an issue with pride, right? We're all good. We don't have pride. Well, that's a lie. We do. We have pride. I have pride. Um, I'm reminded of that daily. But looking back at our key text in Matthew 20, you will see that the landowner was intentional 
when he instructed his foreman to pay the 11th hour laborers first and then pay their first hour laborers. I mean, at first that kind of seems weird, right? Why would you pay the guys that just got there? Well, first off, why would you be that specific? Why wouldn't you just say, okay, everybody come up and get your wage and I mean, you're going to have some guys that worked at the first hour. You're going to have some guys that worked in the second, third, fourth, and, the, and, and all the way down to the 11th. But no, he says, pay them the 11th hour workers first, all the way back to the first hour workers. It's very intentional. That is not on accident. Had he instructed his foreman to pay the first hour laborers, then they probably would not have stuck around to see that the landowner paid the 11th hour laborers the same amount. They would have just taken their wage and and gone home. They would have left. This would have, if he would have paid them first or the other way, just paying sporadically, this would have helped avoid any disgruntlement or confrontation. But man, he he was intentional on saying, you're going to pay the 11th hour people first. If he didn't do it in this order then we wouldn't have this challenge to our inclination of pride and the lesson would not be there. What would we gain from it? It wouldn't wouldn't do us any good because what happens with their response is where we're going with this pride. Look again at, at what one of the first hour laborers said to the landowner. He had the nerve to say, you have made them equal to us in verse 12. You have made them equal to us. It's a terrible thing to say. It's a terrible thing to say. And so, they continued to grumble. They had a lot of nerve to say this to their employer. I I just, I look back over the times and the different jobs that I've had. I don't recall ever going to my boss and saying these types of things. It's just, it's just a lot of nerve, a lot of gumption there. And so these grumblings that we see echo the complaints that the people of Israel had against God in Moses' day. Okay? You might recall some of those. Deuteronomy 1, 27 says, And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. I mean, come on. It literally says, because the Lord hated us. That's astonishing. Now, we get to read it in its full context, but man, all of the things that God has done for those people, and yet they still sat there and they said, because the Lord has hated us. They also went to say, it would have been better for us just to have stayed in Egypt as slaves, because at least then we would have gotten three square meals a day. At least we would know what's going on in the day ahead of us. They grumbled. They complained. They had pride. They had entitlement to things that were not theirs. Now God, uh, he answers and responds in God's fashion. In Numbers 14, 27, he says, How long... Shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. God acknowledging the grumblings, acknowledging their pride. And you know what God does? He gives them a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. He continues to love them as his children even though they're grumbling. Well, you can see in our key text here that money was not just the only thing that frustrated these men. Their pride was probably one of the key sources of frustration. Much like our example of Dan Price's most talented workers, they felt like if he was going to raise the lower paid salaries that much, they themselves deserved a much bigger raise. See, these laborers sat in line thinking, oh man, they got paid a denarius. They've only been here an hour. 
man, what am I going to get? Maybe I'm going to get 11 denarius or denarii. I don't know. Is that the, is that the denarii? Thank you, Troy. Appreciate that. Uh, 11 denarii. I don't know. I'm, I'm making stuff up there, but they probably had in mind that, man, I'm going to get paid more. This is fantastic. And then they come up to the foreman and he hands them a, a denarius and they sit there and they go, man, this stinks. I don't want this. I want more. And, and so there you go. You know, many scholars think that the first hour laborers represent the Jews. Okay, that they represent the Jews of, of this time of the New Testament. And the 11th hour workers were the Gentiles. And that makes sense when you think about it. Because you've got the Jews who have spent their entire life, you know, memorizing the Torah, studying under rabbis, fulfilling those laws and those commandments, shaping their life around the law that God has given them. They have been the ones that have the knowledge. They are the ones that people go to and ask advice. They're the smart ones when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to God's Word. And all of a sudden, we've got these people, the Gentiles, who are now equal to us. And that's a problem. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful that they are equal, that God is able to do that for them and for us. See, this attacked their pride and their understanding of the scriptures. Jesus attacked the disciples' understanding of the scriptures. How could these tax collectors and sinners be considered equals? That's what people said of these disciples, right? You think about them just being tax collectors, fishermen, the common folk, laboring day in and day out. Who were they also inherit the kingdom of God. Well, moving on to our third challenge, our inclination for discontentment. Our inclination for discontentment. Matthew 20, verse 2 says, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Did they forget? that they agreed to this amount? You kind of get the feeling that they did. That they forget that they gave the proverbial handshake with the landowner and said, yes, I will take a denarius a day. That is a fantastic wage. That will provide for my family. Excellent. Sign me up right now. Let's do it. The amount wasn't really the issue, totally, okay? until they saw that those who worked less would be paid the same. Only then did they get upset, which also kind of taps into our pride a little bit, but for the sake of this lesson, it shows the discontentment. Something that at one time was great, was acceptable, is all of a sudden not acceptable, and it's insulting. So why don't you just take it back until you can provide me with something better, with something more man, have we heard that in our society? Have we heard people say that? I think we have. And, and maybe we've said that without even really knowing it. And so we kind of need to give ourselves a gut check there. It's interesting how happy someone can be with their current circumstance until they compare themselves to someone or something else. I mean, the, the best example I can think of is all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Didn't they have everything? I mean, when you think about it, Adam and Eve, they got to walk and be in the Garden of Eden. I mean, I can't even, we, we can't even imagine how wonderful and how great that would be. We've seen pictures, we've seen artwork, and, and you know, you can think of the, the greatest place on earth and how beautiful it is and, and how great it is, and, and the Garden of Eden's going to be, I'm just going to put that to shame. And Adam and Eve had that. 
And not only did they have the garden, what else did they get to do? They got to walk with God. They got to be in God's presence. They got to visit and have conversation with their creator. I mean, that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. They had everything. Everything. They could want and need for nothing. Now, God did give them every tree but one, right? And of course, this one tree out of the thousands, maybe millions of trees they had to, to choose from, they most desired that tree. They desired the one tree that God said, don't eat from. So all Satan had to do was present them with the idea of more. If you eat this fruit, you can have more. God, God's, he, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that you would actually die. But if you eat this fruit, you can have more. You can be like God. And of course, as human beings, something clicked in our head and we said, I'll take that to go, please. And we ate that fruit and we became, we found our discontentment in the most beautiful, perfect place there ever was. How crazy is that? I mean, it also goes to show you just how strong and powerful Satan is, right? That they were in this situation and he was able to lure them into discontentment. You know, we're the same way. We are the same way. We are content with our things until a company advertises something new. We're content with the things that we have until somebody advertises something new. I mean, one of the best examples, and I know I already said this once, is our cell phone. You know, we upgrade our phones, and, and I, 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 my flip phone was fantastic. Did you guys have a flip phone? Yeah, I, I had a flip phone. I had one that was probably, another phone that was probably this, this big, and it was a a chunk. It weighed as much as this water bottle. I remember it, growing up, we had one of those, those the first car phones. It was in a, a box, a little pouch, and it Velcro over, and you had to plug it into the cigarette lighter and, and pray that it worked well, and it was huge. I mean, it weighed as much as my Bible here, and, um, but each, each year, we come out with new and new, new and better, and, and you've got to have it because I've got to have that new pixeled camera. 24 pixels is better than 23, okay? And so we're, we all of a sudden, we're discontented with what we have, okay? Our house is good enough until we go to someone's house and we see that, oh my goodness, they've got that fridge that has a TV on it. I need a fridge with a TV on it. Or, man, they've got that nice wood floor, my carpet's got stains on it. Wait, now I'm just speaking about my house. Our house is wonderful until we start comparing ourselves to other people or to other things. And typically, we're happy with our pay until what? Till we hear what our, our colleague is making. You know, I spent time managing the sterile processing department at, 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 uh, at Wesley, and um, one of the things that was interesting was, you know, wages and how people talk about their wage. I, I don't quite understand that, but people would be happy until they found out what the other person made. And we're the same way. It, it, it just is. It's in our nature. We, we want more. We want what's due us to what, you know, what we think is, is what we deserve. Um, I'm reading this book with, with Darren. Um, called Faith Formation in a Secular World. And this book is about how human beings struggle with what authenticity is compared to what the world says is authentic. Very intriguing. It's, it, and it's super scary to, to read. 
Um, in one particular chapter, the author is digging deep into how product marketers have tricked our culture into thinking they need to buy more to obtain authenticity. They've got to obtain more, to buy more to obtain authenticity. It's a quote from the book, and it says, Previously, you had to have a new car and a white fridge because it was your duty. But now you need the coolest sports car and the brightest clothes to express your individuality, to reveal that you are cooler, more hip than the other conforming squares in your neighborhood. Most people spend the money, sorry, most people spend the big money not on things that help them fit in, but on things that allow them to stand out from the crowd. They spend their money on goods that confer distinctions. People buy what makes them feel superior. Again, I can't live my life without these products. I've got to have it. I need the latest and greatest. You know, another passage that illustrates this idea of discontentment follows shortly after Matthew 20. In verse 21b, and so here we have a story about a mother's request, and it says, she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. This is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and she's asking Jesus point blank, hey, Say that the sons of mine will sit at your right and at your left in your kingdom. I mean, talk about a request. Like, that's, that's helicopter parenting at its finest. I'm here to tell you. So you've got a group of disciples sitting around a table. And you've got a mom talking about two specific guys. Two, her two sons. And she says, let them sit at your side. You might read this, read this at the first and say, I don't really see a problem. That's cool. You know, you could say, hey, that mother's taking care of her sons. She's doing what she needs to do to secure uh, their future. But man, it's kind of strange. And it's not until verse 24 that we really see the problem with what happens here. 24, it says, And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why were they indignant? Why did all of a sudden that they became indignant? Well, they became indignant whenever one of their peers had an opportunity to be elevated above them. I mean, think about it. Until now, they have been perfectly happy following Jesus. I mean, how cool would it be to be following Jesus? For all of us in here, we might say, yeah, they're crazy for being upset at all. We, we'll raise our hand right away to go follow Jesus. We're there. Just tell us where to go. And yet they became indignant once they saw that somebody else was potentially going to get more than them. Okay. So we've gone through our three challenges, and how does this practically play out for us today? How does this apply? What do we do with this? Well, in response to entitlement, we need to remember that the only thing we are entitled to is death. Amen? All we are entitled to is death. In Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Because all I deserve, all you deserve, is death. But through Christ, we get eternal life. In Ephesians 4 through 9, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen? That's what we're entitled to, church. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There is no good that we can do to earn our salvation. All we can do is rely in the blood of Jesus Christ. God saves us through grace and not by our worthiness. I love that it it says that twice in that passage that we're saved by grace. It's fantastic. In one of the commentaries I used in preparation for this lesson, it said, But we are fools if we appeal to God for justice rather than grace. For in that case, we'd all be damned. We would be fools if we appeal to God for justice rather than grace. Man, isn't it a great thing that God doesn't give us what what is fair? You know, we, we read about in our passage about wages and how the, the first hour laborers felt like it wasn't fair. And, and we got to be careful when we say, I want what's fair. Because again, I'll say that death is what's fair for us, and that's not what God wants to give us. So in response to our, our pride, our second challenge we need to remember that we are all on the same playing field. We are all on the same playing field. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All true disciples are equal in God's eyes. His children are equal in His eyes. There's nothing that I do that gives me more than you or vice versa. God sees us as equals, and that is fantastic. What a, what, what a great thing. So instead of thinking too highly of ourselves, let us come around each other in love and support one another. You know, like in our Dan Price example, if, if we see someone that's getting a, a raise or, or getting some kind of accolades at work or just in the community, our response needs to be awesome. Praise God. Look what he's given you to work with. How are you going to work to enhance God's kingdom with what he's given you? And thirdly, in response to discontentment, we need to remember Paul's words in Philippians. Chapter 4, 11, 12 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know, Paul will go on in Ephesians to talk about all the things that he has been through, being beaten, starved, naked, cold, shipwrecked. This guy has learned how to be content. That is a powerful thing. Getting caught up in the game of striving can become wearisome and will start taking a toll on us. It'll start hurting our soul. You know, one of the things that I find myself doing in the past, I, I, I try not to do it as much now, but I can't say that I don't, is go into that app, Zillow, Zillow Zillow.com, where you can go and look at houses. Has anybody done that? Do you have that app on your phone or tablet? Okay. Um, Does anybody go to the Million Dollar Homes first? No, don't answer that. It's so much fun to go and see how other people are living. I don't know why. The challenge there, though, for us is that we might see something and all of a sudden we're like, my home isn't good enough anymore. I've got to have that basement. I need to have that pool. I need to have that flooring. And we can forget that God has given us so much. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. 
Put that app away and don't go there. Don't stay up at night scrolling through Amazon and looking at all the cool deals that they have for you to save money, which is ironic because if you hadn't gone there, you wouldn't have bought anything in the beginning. So that truly would have saved you money. Don't go to the Lowe's app and just scroll through all the great deals that they have. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you those things are wrong. They're, they're good, but just be careful. Be careful with the time that you spend on it. Be careful when you go to someone's house and you see what they have. Be careful when you go out in the parking lot and see what someone else is driving. Because Satan's going to try to get to you. He's going to try to get you to be discontent. He's going to try to hit you with your pride. He's going to try to get you to feel entitled. And he does a great job doing that. As we close this morning, I encourage you this week to look at what your response is to these, these ideas of entitlement to pride and discontentment. Ask yourself, do I struggle with these things? Dig deep this week. Be honest with yourself. Confess in prayer to God these areas you are struggling with. Reach out to a prayer partner. Ask for prayers to be uplifted, to change your heart. The key, though, is to be honest. If we can't be honest with ourselves, we're not going to make any any strides. We're not going to get very far. You know, these challenges that, that Jesus gave his disciples, they're not easy. And they would have been a, a slap in the face. And they should be to us as, as we read about it and as we reflect on our life. But they are very real. And Satan is working to appeal to us in that way. There may be many of you who already are struggling through these ideas and need to visit and pray with somebody about it. Our pastors and prayer counselors will be coming forward here in a minute so they can walk alongside you. And if you don't feel comfortable coming down front, that's fine. Then please find one of them in the foyer and have them pray with you and over you. I'm going to pray right now, and as I do that, Tori and her team are going to come out and lead us in a song, and then we'll move into a time of communion. So let's pray. God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for being our creator, for being our father. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus down to die on a cross for us. We thank you for these parables that we get to look at, to read, these images that we get through these metaphors, God, that we, we can see what you have in store for us, how you want us to live. God, I pray that you will help us to seek you first before anything else, before anyone else. God, we love you. We do not do a good job showing it, but we do love you. Please know our hearts. God, be with us now as we are closing out our worship. I pray that we can stand and sing and, and praise your holy name. Mighty God, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.